You are listening to the Alouette's Flight Deck, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. All right, folks, we've been clear for takeoff. Welcome to the Alouette's Flight Deck, the podcast dedicated to Montreal Alouette's football. I'm Cliffy D. You can find me on Twitter at Cliffy D. And I'm Tim Capper. You can also find me on Twitter, but at Repact. That's R-E-P-P-A-C-T. And this episode of the podcast is presented by our good friends over at Sportbuff, where if you use the discount code of FlightDeck-10 at checkout, you will save 10% off your entire order. So head over to sportbuffshop.com, use the code, save some cash, and enjoy your new sports merch. And of course, the Elwood's Flight Deck is all over the internet. Make sure you check out our website at www.alouettesflightdeck.ca, where you will find the entire archive of our seven-year run so far. You can follow us on Twitter, at Deck. Check out our Instagram, at Deck. Facebook, you can find us at facebook.com slash Pod. Make sure you check out our merchandise store at teespring.com slash stores slash Al's Flight Deck. And don't forget, we are definitely on YouTube. Head over to youtube.com slash Alouette's Flight Deck. Make sure you subscribe, leave us a like, leave us a comment, and let us know what you think of the Alouette's Flight Deck podcast. Playoffs? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Playoffs. And the party is still going strong. That's right. That's right. And we got at least, because it is so related that if you haven't already, Cliff and I put out a special episode, a special bonus episode of the Alouette's Flight Deck podcast, where we spoke with uh, former Alouette's president and CEO, Mark Waitman, about uh, the infamous U2 game and uh, how he really was involved in getting that thing up and running. As you guys know, it's been 25, 25 years almost to the day that it occurred. Go listen to it. It is a great historical lesson. And uh, if you didn't know, you know, if you didn't know this about Montreal football history, this is one. That's one special episode you do need to listen to because that game made sure that we have football today. Absolutely. Just a, a great stroll down memory lane with Mark Waitman uh, to hear his perspective on how that game took place, which, again, folks, if you if you didn't know, I mean, this game, I mean, it, it happened pretty much on a wing and a prayer. And my God, the, the fact that it came together the way it did and it really did set the tone, essentially, for Montreal Alouette's football to not only stay in Montreal, stay in the Canadian Football League, but to thrive and allow the province of Quebec really to become the powerhouse that it is when it comes to football. So make sure you tune into that. And, uh, you know, we're looking forward to be able to provide uh, little, little notes of history like that along the way as this podcast grows and continues, because, uh, you know, there's a lot of history in this team. I mean, like 25 years plus and, and counting. I mean, and there's still, there's still so much ground to cover. So we're looking forward to be able to do that with you guys over the years and uh, definitely check this out. It's definitely well worth a listen. Exactly. Um, you know, the, it's funny. The game itself, in my opinion, it was so identical. You know, very, a lot of similarities to the game in '97, um, weather-wise, how the game started. But uh, it was just nice to see the twenty thousand plus that we had in stadium over at Percival Molson Stadium just go absolutely wild. It got loud. It got noisy. It got rowdy. 
And, uh, you know, we were there to help the owls beat the tiger cats, um, you know, 28-17 advance to the East final, which we have not done in such a long time. Not since 2014. I mean, yeah, this this was about as complete a game as you're going to find for the Montreal Alouettes. I, I got to tell you, like, we've, we've been pretty critical this year, the Alouettes, by and large. I mean, like, we've given them their props when they've earned them, as, they sh- as we should. But also, too, if, if something doesn't seem right or it doesn't fit or it's not working – we're going to mention it too. Uh, that's we try to be as objective as possible when it comes to this team. We want to be fair, but at the same time, we want to. We're going to say our piece, and we've been pretty critical at times about the slow starts, the just absolutely horrendous first halves of football. We didn't get that this past Sunday. That first half of the Eastern semifinal was probably some of, if not the best football we have seen from this team all season long. I mean, you talk about complete and utter domination for that first half. Absolutely, absolutely sensational. Mm-hmm. It, it, I mean, as you said, the, the crowd was into it right away. I mean, when it was when the Alouettes were on defense, I mean, they got loud. I mean, you got like we, we reached the Thunderdome level almost immediately. And that that's amazing. Usually it takes, you know, I, I find I find it usually takes at least a good quarter or two for the crowd to really, truly get into it. But I think what helped is that Montreal scored on their opening drive and it just kept on going from there. And it was it was a thing of beauty. There was, there's just no other way to describe just how amazing it was from start to finish. I mean, once the second half got going, I mean, that kind of lulled, kind of lulled a little bit. But, uh, I mean, Montreal really put on a clinic when you think about it. Like, when you look at the overall body of work, Montreal truly put together an absolutely outstanding game. And they earned this berth into the Eastern final against the Argonauts. Oh, for sure. I mean, and obviously with with uh, with some people remembering about history, it started with all the feels, you know, like Sunday football used to be in Montreal. Uh, we got you two right before kickoff. Uh, the players were hype, man. And and you, by the way, and, and, and if anybody has been to a game recently, you've noticed how basically it's, uh, you know, the Alouettes are caged up so to speak, and you have some special guests come and unlock the cage, the players are going bonkers, man. I mean, yes, it, it, you know, it's a cage in, you know, in effect, but I mean, it, we know what the cage is made up out of, but man, they were rocking that cage and wanted to come out so hard and just to, just to play that game on, on, on last, uh, last Sunday. I was fully expecting a Darius Pickett, who's always the first one out the gate, so to speak. I, I fully, like you see him at times, like he's just right in front and he's, he's, vibing like he's he's ready to go i honestly thought he was just gonna say the hell with it and just kick the door wide open and say let's go mm-hmm. and and f- come flying out he didn't but I, you could tell like like you said these guys were jacked they were ready to go they they were there on a mission and and my gosh it was it was incredible there's just literally no other way to describe how, this game as far as just complete dominance by the alouettes uh like just setting the tone early and by and large keeping it that way it was it was sensational. There's just no other way to put it. It was sensational football. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I said, you know, the weather held off. I think I thought it was pretty funny. You know, when whenever I think it was right before kickoff and during the game, all of a sudden a huge, huge uh, roar uh, way you know went right across the stadium because the sun came out. You know, it's I, would that have happened? I don't think that would have happened on a regular season game. I really don't think so. It just it was just so different. Just the atmosphere itself, which is so different for this game versus a regular season game. But I guess it's just because of the stakes itself and how long it's been, you know, since the Alouettes have had, uh, you know, been had this good of a team to go on to the next level and potentially get to their first Grey Cup in in twelve years. 
So, but yeah. obviously we don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but that, that, that was the possibility, but I'm sure what fans were looking at, but, but still, you know, you know, the Owls had not beaten the Tiger Cats in the playoffs in eons. I think somebody posted, I think it was like almost 10,000, was it almost 10,000 days? Am I remembering the tweet properly? It could very well be. Yeah. Or very close to 10,000 days. I mean, just last time we beat Hamilton at any point in the playoffs was 96. <laughs> so it's been a long road. It's been a long road, dude. It, and it's true. You know, Hamilton's had that. Hamilton has all, some for some reason, has had our number in the playoffs. Yeah, whether it was at uh, Olympic Stadium, at Percival Molson Stadium, or in Hamilton, whether it was at uh, Ivor Wynn or BMO, uh, Tim Hortons Field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, we're, whatever the stakes, whether it's Eastern semifinal or Eastern final, yeah, the, the Tiger Cats have pretty much owned the Alouettes when it comes to playoff football. But this year, I mean, this year has really been something different for this team. I mean, it's just, man, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to put it into words, and it's just, <laughs> it's it's wild. I mean, it, it was just one of those things that you've come to expect certain things, especially too, when you're a second-place team and you're hosting. There is that pressure that, you know, you don't want to lose the game in your house, especially with Montreal looking at the fact that the last seven times these two teams met in a playoff game, Montreal's walked away the loser. So the pressure was immense for sure. But really, it's something about this team. Like, they just rose to the occasion. It felt like, no, we will not be denied. We, we've we got this. We have got this. And let's not forget, Hamilton was the Eastern representative of the Grey Cup the past two seasons. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of pressure on them as well. And, you know, like, they... They came on strong to 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 end the uh, end the season just to get into just to squeak into the playoffs. So I mean, they had a lot to prove as well. They, they you know they were hyped for this game as well. But I mean, like I said, something had to give. Something had to give with these two teams. You, you knew that someone was going to finally get off the schneid and make something happen. And lo and behold, Montreal proved that they wanted it from the get go. And again, it, you saw it throughout the entire game. Like they. They played like a playoff team. They 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 looked like that well-oiled machine that uh, we'd been promised pretty much all season long. Like you you talk about like when this team was considered the quote unquote hottest team of the CFL. Mm-hmm. They looked like a team that was playing like what you would consider to be the hottest team of the CFL. I, I mean, truly, whether it was offense, defense, special teams, everything was clicking this past Sunday. It, it really made for an incredible game, an incredible atmosphere at the stadium as well. Like this this crowd was hungry for a win. This crowd was willing this team to victory. And credit to this team, credit to the coaches, credit to everybody. Mm-hmm. Like they they did the thing. They did what they needed to do. And and yeah, to be able to basically this is the last this was the last football game being played in Montreal in 2022. They went out with a bang. They sent everybody home happy. You really truly can't ask for more than that. No. And props obviously to the the 20,693 fans uh, that were in attendance. Um you know, the first half itself Cliff was it, I mean, it wasn't perfect, but it was very close to being perfect. I mean, the Owls did lead 22 22 to 6 at the end of the uh, at the end of 30 minutes. Um but you know, it's again, they did what they needed to do in the first half to get ahead. Second half is one of the, some of the things that we have a couple of questions about, which needs to be fixed going into this week versus Toronto. Um, but uh, what else can what else can you say about that first half? <laughs> well, well, I mean, 
take your pick. What do you want to talk about? Offense, defense, special teams. I mean, everything, as I said, everything was clicking. I mean, Chandler Worthy had some really nice returns, uh, really put the Alouettes in, you know, gave him short fields to work with. I mean, you know, he proved that he definitely deserves to be the Eastern nominee for most outstanding special teams player. Like he, I, I think a lot of people were kind of maybe even questioning that just a little bit, but those questions were answered with a couple of his returns and damn near had a house call mm-hmm. for the first time in a long time. I mean, he unfortunately stepped out of bounds, I think at the 20 yard line. So it didn't quite count, but uh, man, it, it damn near happened again. And like, this guy is just so exciting and so much fun to watch on special teams. Oh, no kidding. And, and I think the cool thing too, is that obviously, you know, it's playoff football in the CFL when they bring out the sky cam and, and it's so weird, you know, the stadium as old as, as Percival Molson is to have the sky cam there. And Chandler started off the, 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 the game, right. You know, they won the toss Chandler got kicked the ball and right away. He he put the sky cam to use for sure because you know uh, one one heck of a of a return that set the Alouettes up early for that first touchdown for uh, to get into the scoring position for that first touchdown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, on offense, I mean, I, this, I'm sure a lot of people are going to be laughing about this, but Trevor Harris, the Trevor Harris we were promised when the Alouettes traded for him last season, he's here. He finally showed up. He looked outstanding. He wasn't perfect. You know, he 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 did throw. An interception, and uh, I mean, it was an ill-advised throw. But that one—that was his one little blip on an otherwise—I I won't even—I won't say perfect day, but damn near close to perfect. I mean, he looked like the Trevor Harris of the 2019 Eastern Semifinal when he was playing for the Edmonton Elks, and uh, oh, man, it, he did it. And you know what? You know what blew my mind? Like just re-watching the game again. Mm-hmm. He didn't hold on to the ball very long. He got the ball out quickly. And you know what happened? He moved the chains. He found receivers. And when when he couldn't find receivers, he switched things up. He handed off to William Stanback. He was rumbling for some yardage. Walter Fletcher, oh my God. Mm-hmm. That that he had the game of his life, I think. I think that was probably I, I think he's gonna look back and say that, that was probably the best game I've ever played as a professional football player. My God. That the touchdown that he scored was sensational like that was the run of his life that outstanding just my god like that and that was great i mean everybody was expecting Stanback to go off and and do his thing and yeah he he had a solid game no question about that but walter fletcher was i won't say forgotten he wasn't definitely not forgotten i'm pretty sure hamilton was scouting for him but even then might have underestimated him just a little bit and he made them pay i mean 77 yards on the ground mm-hmm beautiful touchdown i mean he he was doing it all out there i mean man just an absolutely phenomenal effort from from our man fletch he 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 did the damn thing for sure yeah and it having this this two and potentially three-headed running back uh monster is is paying off already obviously you know Stanback is finally getting back what seems to be into his groove you could tell you know uh, we we understood when he when he came back late in the year that you know, it, it's not going to be the Stanbeck that we remember the past couple of years right away. I mean, it's obvious. I mean, maybe some psych- some things are psychological. You don't want to make sure you don't want to get hurt again. You may be playing differently. It, it, you know, your, your, your body has to get used to the pounding again. But Walter Fletcher has been great. Joshua Antwi has been great, even though he didn't get a rush this week. But still, you know, it makes teams think, you know, are they going to go to one of these three guys or are they going to go to the air? And I'm I'm trying to remember the last time that a team had potentially three really big threats at running back on the field 
at the same time. So it, 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 it bodes well, obviously, for the Owls heading into the Eastern Final versus Toronto. No, that's it. And again, if it's one of those, like, like I, th- I think Stanback has been slowly building himself back up, getting his confidence back, getting that rust off. And you could tell he's, he's feeling it. Like, he's he's ready to go off. And we all thought it was going to happen this past Sunday. And, you know, it, it, he played a very respectable game. He he was a very valuable contributor. I got a feeling, though, just based off of that, just the fact that it's been slowly mounting game time after game time after game time. He's just getting better and better and better. I mean, if we thought he was going to go off in the Eastern semifinal, didn't quite do that, but maybe he's truly saving himself for the Eastern final. And that could be when we see that William Stanbeck of old, the one that would rush for 200-plus yards and just bowl people over and just be so difficult to, to handle and... If that's and if he's not, well, guess what? Walter Fletcher's right there, and you know he's going to go off. And what a dual threat he has been all season long. But to see what he's been able to do on the ground, saw it against Hamilton, and I guarantee you now, Toronto's defensive staff, they're looking at like, okay, you know, I, I'm sure they were already thinking about Stanbeck, but now you have no choice but you got to respect what Fletcher does on the field. And now you're basically you're 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 scouting those two guys for sure. And oh yeah, Jeshwin Antwi. Mm-hmm. He's no slouch either. So yeah, I mean, if you, if you don't if you don't give him any thought, I guarantee Montreal will find a way to get him involved in the game and make him pay. And, and yeah, it, I'm I'm telling you, Toronto. I I hope they use this bye week correctly and truly was paying attention to the game, truly taking advantage of what Toronto, uh, what uh, Montreal was able to do because that's what you're that's what you're up against next. And if you're not ready, Montreal will definitely make you pay. Yeah. Trevor Harris uh, was 27 to 34 for 243 yards. I mean, not the same numbers that he had versus, you know, at, when he was playing with uh, with Edmonton back in 2019, but still uh, one interception, one TD. Uh, as we as we mentioned, Cliff mentioned before, that interception, it looked to be thrown behind uh, uh, Winnegie and he, he tipped it and it was intercepted. But I mean, it's uh, no here or there now. But uh you know, Fletcher, 77 yards on a seven carries for an average of 11. Wow. Touchdown. Uh, Dominic Davis had one, too. Um, what's funny is that it, it wouldn't it have been Fletcher that had two TDs? Should have had two TDs? Should have had two. And again, looking at the yeah, replay I, again. Yeah, I watched the replay again, dude. I was like, really? <laughs> yeah, that, that that didn't sit right with me. I, as far as I'm concerned, he he broke the plane. He, be, he For him to be down to one, that's... No, no, I'm sorry. I, I don't buy that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, yeah. You, you want to call us biased when it comes to that? Fine, but I'm I'm just telling you what I saw with my own eyes. Like, listen, I I don't I don't see how you not call that a touchdown. But okay, well, fine. Let's, let's put it this way: the one in the 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 one that was replayed in the BC game that was down at the one. This one. This one's a lot. He, it should have been a touchdown. But either way, it, again, it's either way. Dominic Davis did score the the rushing touchdown. Uh, Stanbeck, sixty six yards and ten carries. Um, and then the wide receivers. What can we say? You know, first there was that little bit of a switch, and I wanted to ask your opinion on this one, Cliff. A little bit of switch on the slot backs. You know, first when uh, Reggie White went out and they brought in Tyson Philpot full time. Uh, but basically by himself rather, mm-hmm. and gave him the start. They put him on the other side. They put him on on the uh, they put him on the right side to slot back. But now they yeah. for the past two games they put him on the left and put Jake on the right. What's your What's your thought? Because we remember you know Tyson did quite well that first game being on that other side. 
what, what's your thought on how the how the owls have have worked uh, where Jake and Philpot are going to be st- uh, basically stationed? I, I kind of wonder if it's just because Trevor tends to favor the the right side a little bit more. So. I think in a, in a matter of trying to get uh, maybe just to help build up Jake's confidence, because let's not forget Jake Winicky had been pretty quiet for the better part of the year. Like it's only recently that we were yeah, finally getting the quarters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're, we're now TD Jake is back. Like we, we're starting to see TD Jake again, which is great and couldn't have come at a better time. And I can't help but wonder if maybe this is a matter of, okay, you know, when Trevor makes his reads, he tends to look more to the right than anywhere else. Maybe he feels a little more confident being able to throw to Jake and make something happen. I mean, let's face it, Tyson Philpott's still a rookie, so sometimes a veteran quarterback isn't going to always trust his rookie, even though there's no question that Philpott is a phenomenal playmaker, and he himself had a couple of really nice plays this past Sunday. So, I mean, I, I don't know why you wouldn't trust him with, uh, with a pass, but okay, you know. I'm just just playing the devil's advocate. I can't help but wonder if that's the reason why they decided to switch things up, or it's just a simple matter of just keep the opposing defenses guessing, kind of. Yeah. Anyway. If, they're, if, they're, if they're expecting Phil Pot to be in one way and Winicky the other, and then you kind of switch it up, it's like, oh, okay, now you gotta now you gotta change your defensive scheme just enough to be able to cover those two guys. So, could be the reason why. So we'll see this week once the uh, depth charts come out. We'll see if it's the same or if they or if uh, Coach Machocha makes some makes some sm- minor tweaks. But uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't expect it. I wouldn't expect it. Um, leading receiver for the Alouettes this week was Eugene Lewis. Seven receptions, 98 yards, no touchdowns. Uh, he's so close to getting 100 yards in the uh, getting over the 100 yard mark in in receiving. Uh, next was TD Jake, 60 yards on five receptions in that one touchdown in the first, the very first touchdown in, in the first quarter. Uh, Walter Fletcher, uh, excuse me, Tyson Philpot, four receptions, 34 yards. Walter Fletcher, four receptions, 25 yards. Uh, William Stambeck got into the receiving game, four receptions, 14 yards. And KJG, three receptions, 12 yards. And we had to at least mention uh, Herjie Maiella had two targets but no catches. No, it a little surprising because, I mean, like he seems to always be good for that one catch that's just out of nowhere, but... I mean, when when Gino's doing his thing and TD Jake is, you know, starting to catch fire again. I mean, I mean, this team has so many great weapons at at the receiver position that you just can't throw to everybody. But Lord knows Trevor's going to try, <laughs> and mm-hmm. more often than not, he's able to complete. So I mean, to be able to spread the ball around like that, really get the offense as engaged as possible, and just throwing up different looks more than anything else. And again, I, I the it, it really looks like now that Trevor's got the confidence that we've come to expect and we were promised and for him to have that relationship with his receivers now again could not have come at a better time than this like this is what we wanted this is what we were promised as i've said and for it to finally come to fruition it's great it's it's really great to see and yeah i I'm, like i said we, we definitely gotta give props i mean trevor played a very very good football game mm-hmm. all things considered a couple to like I said, still a couple decisions here and there that i probably wouldn't have done if i was him but again i mean I'm not him, so you know I can, it's easy for us to criticize uh, sitting in the stands versus you know him maybe out there doing doing what we what he needs to do. But I, again, he 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 did it. He, he you know he, uh, people know how I've you know we we've been critical of him. We really have. But I like to think when he does well, we give him his flowers. We give him his props. And right now, like this past Sunday, uh, aside from that you know 
errant throw that ended up being picked off. He played as close to a perfect game as one could hope for. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would have been nice to see him throw a couple more for a couple more touchdowns. Sure. But like he got the Alouettes into the red zone, but created scoring opportunities, even if it was uh, just getting him down to the goal line and letting Dominique Davis push it in or Walter Fletcher just looking absolutely fantastic doing what he does. I mean, the scoring opportunities were there. He he made the most of his opportunities and put points on the board. And that's all we've ever wanted from this quarterback is, you know, don't promise us this. Don't try to dazzle us with these with these stats. As we've said before, stats are nice, but winning is nicer. And that's exactly what Trevor Harris did this past Sunday. He won this game. He helped create a victory for this team. That's all we've ever wanted from this guy. You want you want us to sing his praises? Well, guess what? That's how you're going to do it. That's how you get us to get on board with this guy. And yeah. here we are. I mean, he did it. That that's all we wanted, and he did it. So, yep, yep I agree. Again, and, take we got we got to take our hats off to him. Yep. That's that's all there is to it. Yeah, and we're talking about how you know we're talking about in the past couple of weeks. One of the big stats that, that you really need to look at and how well a team is doing is second down conversions. The Owls are fifteen to twenty five this week. That sixty percent clip is what you want to see from a team. You know, on on second down. You know, they held uh, they held uh, Hamilton to just forty four percent, so only eight of eighteen. So it's you know it's there. It was there. And, you know, how perfect the first half went. Now, mind you, this wasn't the how perfect the, it, it could have gone com- as a complete game. You also, uh, with David Cote, getting some love from the upright in that second half. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, a doink that actually works in the in your favor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think we all kind of winced as soon as we heard the thud of mm-hmm. the ball hitting. But then as soon as we saw it tumble down... And it being good, like oh thank God, <laughs> yeah. And because he had missed, he had missed one earlier, which I thought he was going to make. He missed a fifty-four yarder, I think it was. I'm just just off the top of my head, but um, yeah. But you know, he it seemed like everything was going well. I mean, even for even for the defense too. But we we have to have to at least mention about about Hamilton. I mean, uh, you know, Dane Evans has had, had he's made such a name for himself. You know, he be, you know they let go of Jeremiah Mazzoli. Dane became the starter. But then there's some issues getting hurt, and they you know Matthew Shields coming in and playing very well. Um, you know, it just that first half really just seemed to be the um, it just seemed to be the first half for Dane Evans and Tim White. I mean, I think the Owls knew Tim White was going to get the ball, but who knew at that point, a eh, Cliff with the amount of catches, it was basically him and Tim White in that first half. And I guess it kind of showed because you know the Hamilton only had six points on the board at halftime. I was going to say, yeah, they definitely had the connection that uh, we've come to expect from them all season long. But kind of like that criticism that we've had of Trevor Harris, like it's all well and good to, you know, make nice passes and get downfield and get to the red zone. But if you're only walking away with field goals, you're not going to win football games consistently. And that's really what it came down to was Montreal was scoring touchdowns with their drives in the first half, whereas Hamilton, best they could offer up was field goals. Mm hmm. Uh, I mean, D- Dane Evans definitely is he, he's really had a hot and cold kind of year. He's been up and down. He's been dealing with injury issues. Uh, I mean, it. I, I can't help but wonder, too, if maybe the pressure of being the man now in Hamilton, because as you said, they had pretty much had to choose between him and Jeremiah Masoli. They went with Dane. Masoli left for Ottawa. So now everything f- fell on Dane Evans. And I don't know if the, necessarily the pressure got to him or if it was just a, a series of unfortunate events, but things didn't quite work out the way they would have hoped. Yes, they still made the playoffs. Yes, they still managed to show up for this game. And 
I mean, I, I still think Dane Evans is a, a very solid quarterback. He, I, I just ha- can't help but wonder if it was, this is just part of the growing process for him to learn and get better. Even though he has played in Grey Cup games at this point, <laughs> I mean, one can't help but wonder, though. I mean, like Matthew Schilt's coming in, though, and he played a pretty solid game, all mm-hmm. things considered, as well. And I tell you, my, my heart goes out to Math- Matty. I mean, he's a friend of the show, for sure. Uh, we, we, you know... I can't help but wonder, like, you know, if if there could have been some way to keep him here in Montreal. But he, too, probably felt like it wasn't going to happen. You know, it, he couldn't stay here and just sit on the sidelines. Like, he had to be a part of the action. And Hamilton, to their credit, definitely gave him every opportunity to make something happen. And by and large, he did. He he got great playing time this year. He, he got the opportunity to show what he can do. Were the results there? I think for the most part, yes, but there was, uh, you know, it wasn't perfect by any stretch for him as well. To me, I, 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 I can't help but feel like, man, like if, if anyone was going to beat the Alouettes, I would have loved for it to have been Matthew Schiltz. Mm-hmm. But I, I just don't think the, the Alouettes were not going to be denied this past Sunday. And it's unfortunate because, you know, now, once again, Matthew's kind of on the outside looking in. Uh, I don't know if he's going to get the same love that he would have gotten here in Montreal. But, uh, you know, I sincerely hope Tiger Cat fans realize what they have in this guy. He is a talent for sure. He is definitely someone that belongs in the conversation. He definitely is a quarterback that, given the opportunity, can win games. And he has done that for the Tiger Cats. He's helped them win football games. I'll go so far as to say, if it wasn't for him being as solid as what he was, maybe Hamilton doesn't make it to the Eastern semifinal. I mean, this is a, a guy that he's all he's wanted was the opportunity to show what he can do. And when he's gotten those opportunities, I'd say he's made the most of them. So I sincerely hope that Matty realizes that. And as he goes forward with his career, uh, hopefully he gets that chance again to prove what he can do and say that, hey, I definitely belong in this league. I mm-hmm. definitely think I can I can play in this league and I can definitely be a superstar if truly given the chance. Yeah. Uh, final look at, at the game. We have to at least talk about the defense itself because man, they stepped up in the second half. Uh, obviously we had some issues that w- I, which I want to touch just briefly on for, for the deep, for the offense. Um, but th- we need to give props to this, to this defense, man. I mean, I, I think it was six total sacks, uh, a monster, monster hit, monster hit by Beverett. Holy crap. Uh, like shot out of a cannon. It's one of those plays where if you're if you're a fan looking at, it, it's like where the hell was you know where was the the lineman supposed to be blocking him and and also yeah it being challenged his hit being challenged for roughing come on man was not even close no no that was that was nonsense and I mean it's not Beverett's fault that he he had Schiltzy dead to rights unfortunately like there was literally nothing stopping them. there was nothing but air between those two guys and Tyrese just put the wood to him and I mean, it was incredible just mm-hmm. an incredible football play I mean it looked probably a lot worse than what it actually was but yeah obviously you know it is what it is yeah. uh, and it, it, I do find it's I do find it's kind of funny though that it was uh, like one year ago Tyrese Beverett was with the Hamilton Tiger Cats Matthew Schultz was with the Montreal Alouettes mm-hmm. and here they are on opposite on the opposite sides and being involved in a play like that. It's just mm-hmm. incredible. And that 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 play was just synonymous of how Montreal had played overall. Like they just they they made the statement. They 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 punched Hamilton in the face numerous times, which I said they had to do. I said they really had to set the tone. They really had to walk in there and just punch them in the face. And that's essentially what they did. 
And can we just take a minute to appreciate Mike Jones? Yo, boy. Mike Jones, man. <laughs> Two absolutely phenomenal interceptions. I, and he's been doing this all year. He has just been such an outstanding playmaker. Uh, I, it was kind of funny. They, I don't know if you remember, but uh, the game that we went to in Ottawa, mm-hmm. uh, poor Mike, he he was burnt like toast. Badly. Oh, yeah. I remember, Yeah, that first half was so bad for him. And it, it's hard to believe that that same Mike Jones this past Sunday – just looked phenomenal. Like you could have almost made a if you're going based on that one game, you could have made a case for him being most outstanding defensive player for the Alouettes because my God, he he was just he was all over the field, making life miserable for Hamilton's receivers. And yeah, those, those two ints were just money, just absolute money. Oh, it's like he he baited. It's almost like he baited Schiltzy on that second interception in the second his second interception in the second half. It was like almost the, I mean, Schultz, perfect throw, but it's like, there he was. You know, yeah, you know, just, it, just like you said, uh, I, 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 yeah, just right place at the right time. That's where Mike Jones was and just gave Schultz just enough hope. Like, okay, I got this. I, I got my receiver and then, you know, taken away. Exactly. Um, we talked, we touched on it briefly before we go, because we actually do have somebody with us this week. Uh, we got Mike Mitchell, uh, to talk, uh, about the upcoming matchup, uh, between the Owls and the Argos in the Eastern final, but thoughts on the second half offense. It was, you know, the defense took over. We only came away with six points. Uh, Trevor, I think was, was six for seven for 24 yards. I think that's what it was. Mm -hmm. Um, it's still very frustrating. Uh, you know, it, we still did well, but that, that, yeah, I mean, I understand with running and, but still it needs to be a, a, a balance. I think we need to have a complete, uh, you know, 60 ass minutes, kicking. six, six what well, we need. Yeah. We need ask kicking and a complete 60 minutes from uh, not only the defense, but also the offense next week. But are you concerned about the second half? Were you concerned about the second half? A little bit. Like I kind of felt like they were kind of resting on their laurels just a little bit, like just kind of letting Hamilton hang around. And that's always a mistake. Uh, I mean, uh, once again, credit to the defense because they're the ones that truly stepped up and made sure that, yeah, Hamilton was starting to make it just a little bit interesting, but then they would just slam the door on them. And that's what you want your defense to do. But at the same time, yeah, that was that if I was going to make a critique about the, this offense would be the second, they kind of took the second half off, just kind of content to coast and just say, okay, we got this. We, we put enough points on the board and really, truly there are no such thing. There's no such thing as too many, too little, no, too many points to put on the board when it comes to, especially a playoff game. Mm-hmm. Like you don't want to leave any doubt whatsoever. And yeah, I can understand. You almost make the argument like, well, you don't want to burn yourself out and score too many points and, you know, put yourself at risk for injury or anything like that. But at the same time, too, you don't want to let a team like Hamilton hang around because they've they've won games like that. And Montreal is not that they're not that good of a team that they can afford to take like whole quarters off. And I really think that the, that third quarter, the offense kind of just just did the bare minimum. And as I said, let let Hamilton, you know, kind of get that false sense of hope that, mm-hmm. you know, OK, touchdown here, touchdown there. We're back in this game. But once again, this this comes back to the defense just being as outstanding as what they have been. I mean, they they really they made Hamilton work for everything that they had, like whether it was a touchdown or field goal. They had to bust their ass to be able to get even that much. And yeah. then just when they got that little bit of hope, Montreal's defense decided, OK, not today. We will not be denied. And they they did what they had to do. They made the plays happen. They they took the ball away, you know, caused turnovers and just was just they just made 
whether it was Dane Evans or Matthew Schultz, just made their day a miserable one. Yeah. And again, the ends justify the means in the sense that they got the win. They are moving on to the Eastern final. But yeah, I, I, I sincerely hope this coming Sunday that against, especially against Toronto, who I know has the benefit of being able to see what Montreal has been able to do. You can't take any quarters off. You can't take any plays off really, truly. I mean, you're talking about, having the opportunity to go and play for the Grey Cup, you got to leave it all out there. There's no question about that. For so sure. you, you cannot you cannot have a third quarter like you had this past Sunday. you got to go balls to the wall 100%. The first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter. you got to be able to do all of that if you hope to make it to the Grey Cup game in Regina. Exactly. And also it reared his ugly head again too this week. Short down yard, short down, uh, sorry, uh, short yardage offense. Yeesh. Uh, and it, and they just gotten the ball back too because of uh, of a contact in the kicker penalty. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like it's like three. Is it like the last two out of five weeks? Last three out of five weeks where we've had it. Yeah, I think three out of the last five weeks we've had an issue. I'm like that's got to stop. That really yeah. has because that could you know coming again Eastern final. You can't let that happen. You cannot let that happen. And maybe they just should have punted it or or, or tried a field goal something, but. Again, it's something else they, they need to work on, obviously, uh, going into uh, into Sunday. 100%. So, uh, again, overall, absolutely outstanding game. I mean, everything was clicking the way it should be. I mean, it, again, Alouette's fans have to be excited. They have to be excited about what they saw. And can't help but be just a little bit hopeful that, hey, you know what? Based, based on how Toronto and Montreal played each other throughout the regular season, I mean, you talk about two very tightly contested affairs. Mm-hmm. And one glorified preseason game, which, you know, at least showed what kind of depth this team has, both teams have. It, it's going to make for a very fun game this coming Sunday. Exactly. Without question. And I, I, I you know, I'm, I'm really excited to have uh, Mike Mitchell on to talk about it because, I mean, he definitely knows what he's talking about when it comes to the Argos. And uh, I think he'll he'll shine a little bit of light and just, you know, kind of expand on just how much fun this game has the potential to be for us. Exactly. And speaking of, let's go ahead and get Mike in right away. And when we get t- done talking with him, Cliffy and I will give uh, our look at the upcoming game this Sunday versus Tor- the Toronto Argonauts. The Alouettes and the Argonauts are playing in the Eastern Final. It is going to be a massive game this coming Sunday. And to join us to help preview this massive Eastern Final is a man we've had on this podcast before. He represents CFL News Hub. He represents XFL News Hub. Uh, friend of the show, Mr. Mike Mitchell. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on. Uh, it's great to be back on with you guys. Love the show. And uh, it's exciting times coming up this weekend. Well, I tell you, man, I mean, this is this is what this is what we've been waiting for. We, we've been waiting to see who's going to make it to the Grey Cup. And now that we know that Hamilton will not be representing the Eastern Division again, uh, it's almost like a brand new, like like an open field. Like anything's possible now. It could be the Alouettes, it could be the Argonauts. Like this is going to be something new for fans they, that haven't seen in the past two years. I mean, it's 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 pretty exciting. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's to see BC, Montreal, uh, in the mix here, along with obviously Toronto and then, you know, the champions, so defending champions, Winnipeg, everyone wants to take them down. It's nice to see some fresh blood in the mix. And, um, and these are very good teams. Um, especially the second half of the season, we know BC kind of, they got sidetracked, obviously the Nathan Rourke injury, but they did a good job, you know, steadying the course and keeping themselves in contention until he came back. And that was a huge win for that franchise. 
been a long time since they've been in the playoffs. And quietly, both uh, Toronto and Montreal were two of the hottest teams in the CFL. Uh, in the second half of the season. Everybody knows how Montreal went through an upheaval and changes at the beginning of the year and um, and where they came, uh, how that far they had to come to get to this point. And Toronto was 4-5 and five at one point, and they won seven of their last eight and ended up winning 11 games. So I know a lot of people are critical of the Eastern teams. We look like a, you look at a team like Montreal, you know, they stood toe-to-toe with a lot of uh, big teams. The beating Hamilton's not easy. I know a lot of people look at a Hamilton's 8-10 and 10 overall record and, and were kind of critical of them, and rightfully so. But in the second half of the season, Hamilton was a hot team, too. They won five of their last six. They beat Calgary. They beat Winnipeg. So, And a year ago, Hamilton knocked off Montreal in the playoffs. So a little bit of, a little bit of revenge on the Alouettes' part being able to beat the tie cats there. So I think we've got four very good teams at the end of the road here. It's going to be fascinating to see who steps up in the clutch and uh, gets to the great cup. You look at the season series though. I mean, it, uh, you know, less one game really at the end of the year, but uh, the season series between these two teams were, were just, uh, was an absolute joy to watch. Oh, it was tremendous. And look how closely contested. I mean, when the standings were over at the end of the season, Toronto ended up winning the division by two games. But look at the two games they won over Montreal, both by the slimmest of possible margins. I mean, you throw out the, obviously, the glorified preseason game at the end of the year, which was entertaining for what it was. But the two games head-to-head Toronto had with Montreal, the Argos home opener, they won by one point because of David Cote field goal off the crossbar. If he just misses it a couple of inches to the left or right or whatever, uh, it's a single, and we're going overtime. But um, that was crazy. And then, obviously, the last game at Molson, where Toronto won 24-23 on the game-ending Rouge, uh, that's about as close as you can get. Uh, so those two games decided by two points, determined who won the East. But in reality, whoever wins Sunday's game can truly lay claim to the Eastern throne because – you know, the standings will say the Argos won the East. If the Alouettes win, they're the East representative in the Grey Cup. So it would be crazy if this game ends up being decided by one point. Maybe in Montreal's favor. Maybe a game-ending kick will go in their favor in this one. You never know. I mean, hey, and what, if I'm not mistaken, weren't both games? The both games ended on a rouge. What was that? Both games well, ended. Both games ended on a rouge. The first game in Mont- the first game in Toronto, a missed field goal for a rouge, and then right, the, right, the right, one right. in Montreal. Right. So they both ended on a rouge. Yeah, twenty to nineteen. Yeah, Toronto won that game twenty to nineteen. That is correct. And then, um, and then of course twenty four twenty three uh, at Molson. So yes, both both games decided by one point. I mean, that's as close as you can get. Um, <laughs> you know, you can't get any closer than that. So, so I mean, uh, and that shows you how you know how competitive these games were. And what's crazy about that first game with the Argos and the Alouettes, which was Toronto's home opener, was at the time Montreal had a totally different configuration in terms of head coach and quarterback. You had Vernon Adams starting, who was pulled pretty quickly, and Kari Jones was the head coach. So it was a much so the you know it's hard to dissect these two teams head to head. The last meeting is the one you really can kind of look at and say, well, how did these two teams uh, match up against one another? And, you know, depending on which side of the fence you're on, you can look at Montreal's one point loss to Toronto on October 22nd as, you know, maybe they squandered scoring opportunities early. You know, if, if you're on the other side of things, you can give credit to Toronto's defense, which was number one in the CFL and, and 
giving up the least amount of majors in the red zone. So it depends on how you look at that. But Montreal's offense got real hot. They cracked the code of Toronto's defense late in that game. Trevor Harris got hot. And they came down the field and tied that game. And then, you know, Toronto mounted a very good late drive with less than a minute left to get into field goal range before the game-winning rouge. So um, I think these teams match up. It's a very interesting matchup between both the Argos and the Alouettes, and it's going to be fascinating to see how things end up. Oh, for sure. And also another thing, too, is that, you know, whether it was a meaningless game or not, you know, the last game of the preseason, you need to remember, too, Mike, is that that was the first ever win for the Alouettes at BMO Field since BMO, since the Argos moved to BMO Field. So they know they now know they can right. win at BMO Field. It helps psychologically. I think Montreal has the I don't know if you if this is a, a proper terminology. They have the edge in terms of pressure in this game. Not to say that there isn't pressure on the Alouettes to win, but there's a lot. When you're the home team mm-hmm. in the final, and like the Argonauts are in this situation, and a year ago, the Argos lost on their own home field at BMO um, and, you know, and fell short of getting to the Grey Cup, there's pressure on you. Everything the Argos did in the offs was to try to get back to this point, to have an East final game at home. They accomplished that, but I hate to put it this way, for better, for worse, fair, unfair, if the Argos come up short on Sunday, the success of this season, you know, I hate to use this term, but for the Boatmen, it's washed away because everything they've done this was to get, get over the hump, to get to the Grey Cup, to not suffer the same fate they did a year ago. And so I think there's more pressure on Toronto to win this game, especially when you're at home. They're the favorite, very slight favorite. I mean, three and a half, four, depending on what sports book you look at. And that's commonplace when you're the home team, to, to be a slight favorite. But I, I think the pressure is squarely on their shoulders. The Argos are in a situation where if they lose again at home in the East Final, they might have to make some decisions. I I mean, I would assume Ryan Dinwiddie's back, but I'm not so sure they, you know, if McLeod Bethel-Thompson falls short in terms of his performance, I'm not so sure they don't look in a different direction at that. So that there's a lot at stake. There's always a lot at stake. Going in a great cup, there's a lot at stake. But I think there's a lot at stake on Toronto's end. Um, they might look a, a lot different if the, result, if the result is not what they want uh, when the smoke clears on Sunday. Mm-hmm. To me, I think the biggest weapon for, for Toronto right now unquestionably is AJ Ouellette. I mean, my God, this guy's like, it's like trying to tackle a bowling ball. You just cannot stop him. <laughs> how, how, how's it been for He's Toronto? Like, you know, it's funny about him. You know, obviously a lot of people know his story, you know, uh, all, all, in college, he was an excellent player, team captain in Ohio, teammates with Nathan Rourke. He was a standout player and, you know, and he's been a good backup player, role player on and off the roster and practice roster. And he finally got an opportunity to shine. And what I really like about him is, because for a long time, Toronto only had one back all season because of Andrew Harris's injury, was how versatile he's. He's really a complete running back. He's a tremendous receiver. He's a good runner, running people over, even leaping over people. But the area of his game that I really like, and I guess it goes with his nature because he's such a tough, hard-nosed player, is he's such a fantastic pass blocker. So the Argos have had issues with their offensive line all season long, and he's done such a great job as like the last line of defense, especially with like, Yard goes down to their fourth and fifth offensive tackle. Um, they, Toronto hasn't had a lot of efficiency this year throwing the ball down the field. And one of the reasons, a big reason for that is quarterback's inability to, you know, set his feet in the pocket and throw downfield because of the pass rush. And so AJ's really helped out Yard offense, which 
kind of leads us to this Sunday. It makes you wonder, do you really want to cheapen his role, lessen his role? You know, a lot of Argos fans, they're happy Andrew Harris is coming back, but they don't want it to come at the expense of AJ Will. Let's blame that. So now do you do like a, a like a, like have like two running backs in the, in the backfield? Do you have a, do you put him out like as fullback or do you line him up at receiver? I mean, it's, I mean, the fact that he's so versatile well, is definitely. A team across the, it's a very good point. You're looking at a team across the field in Montreal. That's really done a nice job of working in. I'm glad they've done it because uh, Walter Fletcher has been terrific of working Fletcher and Stanback in together at the same time. You figure someone as accomplished as Stanback is arguably, if not the top running back in the CFL, one or two, whoever you want to pick. Um, and so Fletcher's been so good for them that Montreal's figured out a way to fix a factor in both backs. Can the Argos pull that off? See, that's the thing with the Argos. Typically with a division-winning team, you figure that they're set in their ways, but there's a little bit of unpredictability um, in how Toronto's going to utilize their lineup because they might have some changes to their backfield and how they utilize their running backs and their offensive line because they have some players, Isaiah Cage being one of them, that who played in that season finale could very well line up at left tackle. And he's had concussion issues all season long, and they've missed him. He's arguably their best pass blocker. So it'd be interesting to see if they move him. And then you will Blake, who's playing out of position, has been playing on at left tackle, might have to go back into the interior. So, And then there's a couple of question marks in terms of Peter DeCastro and other players who's going to be at center for them. So the Argos might have some a different-looking lineup in the East Final. That could be a good thing and a bad thing. And we can't, we can't overlook Brandon Banks. He is a notorious Alouettes killer. He, he did it for so many years as a member of the Tiger Cats, and no doubt he's going to be looking to do the same thing again uh, as a member of the Double Blue. Yeah, Banks, it's interesting with Banks because he's, end, he's become a complimentary player at best. He hasn't been the star player that he was even a few years back. And so... For whatever reason, McLeod Bethel-Thompson's had good connections with Curly Gittins, phenomenal receiver, and DeVaris Daniels and others. But when it comes to Banks, he hasn't been that big play guy that he's been. You know, Speedy B just hasn't produced at that level. He's had his moments during the season. I don't know if Alouette's fans or Argos fans are going to see that same type of player. He's still productive at times, but he's not a primary option in the Toronto offense. And the Argos have tried to put him on returns. That hasn't really panned out either. So, you know, perhaps he can, um, you know, in the big game, uh, step up and recapture some of his previous glory. But, you know, it remains to be seen if if, uh, he's going to be, he's ever going to be that type of player again. Although, like you mentioned, Alouette's fans are playing nightmares of him burning them in the past. So you never know. You might have one last uh, uh, surge left there, but we'll see. And I believe he's also had, I think, a touchdown in both of the uh, the two games that he played against uh, Montreal. Yes, he has. You know, and, and it wasn't, you know, I think he may have finished like fourth or fifth on the Argos during the season in terms of receptions and yards. But, um, yeah, he's, he does see, seem to save his best for when he plays Montreal, that's for sure. Uh, so that's definitely going to be uh, something that the uh, I sincerely hope that Noel Thorpe is uh, playing, paying very close attention to, even though, as you said, he's not, maybe not be the focal point of the offense. But, I mean, he's just one of those guys that you just leave him open and he will make you pay. Yeah, no, and Montreal's pass rush, you know, Montreal's coming off a tremendous defensive performance. It's like the one area where they've had some struggles here and there because of injuries and everything else. But against Hamilton, I believe they got six sacks. They, you know, they got off to a big start against him, forced them to abandon the run. And, you know, the Beverett and others, uh, Tyrese Beverett and others stepped up 
big time. So I think, um, you know, that's going to be a big factor in this game is the pass rush of Montreal being able to get to McLeod Bethel Thompson, um, not letting him get into a comfort zone. And so, you know, before the season started, when I looked at Montreal's roster, I, you know, I, and studied them, I predicted that they would be in the Grey Cup against Winnipeg. I never thought it would be in this kind of configuration, obviously with a different head coach, Trevor Harris, on the pivot there. So it's a little bit different of a configuration in terms of the way Montreal set up to get to a Grey Cup. But here we are. It's possible that they could very well face Winnipeg or BC in the Grey Cup. You talk about uh, quarterbacks, you know, McLeod Bethel-Thompson, you got Trevor Harris. Um, It's, you know... Macbeth has basically been, it's, it's kind of like these, both these quarterbacks kind of went through the exact same thing this year, you know, uh, you know, and the whole switch over to Trevor Harris in Montreal after, uh, after VA gets hurt and then he then summarily traded. But, um, you know, obviously Macbeth and Harris and their wide receiving core can make a huge difference in the, in these, both in this game, uh, along with the, with the, I said, like you were saying before the, the running backs. Yeah. When you look at, when you look at Montreal's offense, you know, Trevor Harris, you know, he's one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the CFL. Sometimes people will label him as boring, but his efficiency is so good. He plays mistake-free football. And, you know, if he's playing on that level, and then, you know, that's going to be helpful towards the Alouette's chances of winning the East Final. They have two elite players, you know, they have a several good players on their on their roster but Montreal has two elite players in William Standback we haven't quite seen him he's playing better we haven't quite seen Standback at full force yet and then of course it goes without saying Gino Lewis is arguably the best receiver in the entire league there are a few other candidates for that but he's definitely on that level so I, I think you know you when you compare the two quarterbacks I, I think Trevor Harris is the more efficient safer play and I think McLeod is fully capable. He obviously led the league in passing yardage. He's fully capable of having big games and making big throws, but he's a lot more streaky. Um, and he'll, he'll run hot and cold in every game he plays. So the Ar- Argos fans are not sure what to expect from MBT, um, where Trevor Harris maybe sometimes is not as sexy, you know, but, but plays a much more efficient and safer game. So... Uh, I think that matchup is a curious one. Argo fans obviously familiar with Harris's play. He's gotten better as he's gotten older. I know that sometimes he's overlooked, maybe underappreciated. I think he's vastly underrated, Trevor Harris. He doesn't get enough respect, in my opinion. But uh, this is a big game for both quarterbacks in terms of proving that they can play at a championship level. It gets, gets no bigger than the final, getting your team to a great cup, uh, leading the way. So uh, the winner of this one will have a little bit – will earn more respect from the CFL crowd. And when we talk about defensive players uh, for the Argos, uh, one can't overlook uh, Jagera Davis, knowing that he's been to, I think it's, I think he's been, he was in the past five Grey Cup uh, yeah. games and is looking to make this his sixth as a member of the double blue. That's crazy. I mean, it's, a, it's quite a stat every year he's been in a league, he's been in a Grey Cup. So, um, <laughs> you know, and uh, he hasn't won them all, but just to get to that point is very impressive. Yeah, the Argos, you know, Corey Mace is a first-time defensive coordinator. He came over from Calgary. He's done a tremendous job with that defensive unit. Um, he obviously brought in some of his Calgary guys there. Garrett Davis is very good. Enoch Mwamba's had a terrific year, very unheralded year. Um, the reason why the team is so good uh, in the red zone area of, of stopping teams from scoring, limit, limiting them to field goals, and cause, forcing 48 turnovers this year is because 
uh, Mwamba's really at an advanced stage in his career where he he's like a coach on the field. So he's gotten really good at getting all the players in the right position. And so um, the big factor for Toronto this week is whether or not they get back Wynton McManus. They didn't have him the last time they played Montreal. It's looking likely that he might miss Sunday's game. McManus was arguably Toronto's best defensive player uh, and a true defensive player of the year candidate before he went down. Uh, I believe it was week 15, week 16 against Calgary. So anyhow, but um, defensively, Toronto has a very good secondary. Uh, They missed um, Chris Edwards the last time they played Montreal. Jamal Peters had a terrific season. They've been very good on the defensive side of the ball, kind of. um, But the one thing I will say for Montreal is they, they like I said, like I know they, they, the the were missing a couple of key players the last time they played Montreal, but uh, Trevor Harris did a fantastic job against the the Argos defense the last time they played. He threw for over 400 yards, and so the Alouettes had close to 500 yards in that game. So I think there's going to be some adjustments on both sides, and so it's going to be interesting to see how these teams match up. But there's a lot of talent on the defensive side for Toronto uh, that some people are not. Uh, too keen on. Who do you think gets the unfortunate assignment of trying to cover Gino Lewis? Ooh, um, <laughs> I think that I think you'll you'll see a little bit of teamwork on that one. I think Peters. Um, the Toronto's corners are tall, and I think Peters is their most physical cornerback, so he'll probably get help. He should get help, but I think Peters, who's done a good job this year, um, had an All-Star capable season. He'll be. They'll put him out there. The Argos had some issues with Gino. I mean, everybody does, but the Argos had some issues with Gino towards the tail end of that last game they played against each other. So, um, so I would think Peters gets that assignment, but he'll definitely get help. Uh, he's, he'll have his work cut out for him because I, you know, with uh, Gino being the Eastern nominee for most outstanding player, he's going to want to live up to that. And you know, yeah, it, no, it may have, this it, is a big game. For, you know, this is a big game for Gino. I mean, it's been a long time since Montreal's gotten to this point, got, won a championship. And, of course, Gino's a fantastic player, so he's the type of player you would think of as having multiple Grey Cup, Cup opportunities. But with Montreal, obviously, that hasn't come yet, so maybe that arrives on Sunday, that opportunity. for him. It's the biggest game of his career, so he definitely wants to shine, no question about it. In your opinion, uh, obviously, with this being a, such a huge game, you'd think, okay, the hometown has to sell out. Like you're, you're you're one step away from being in the championship game, but when it comes to Toronto and the fan base there, yes, they have their diehards. Yes, they have their longtime fans, and they'll be there for sure. But everybody else, like the casual fans and all that, we just don't know, and we won't know until kickoff. Essentially, what do you think it's going to have to take for Toronto fans to realize just what they have in this team? And come and support them. It's a shame, really, because, you know, I, I grew up in it. I'm a longtime, lifelong CFL fan. And I remember a time when Toronto was extremely popular. I know that to modern day fans, it seems crazy. But they're hottest ticket in town. They were like the New York Yankees in the CFL. Everybody hated them, but they were so, you know, vastly popular. Obviously, the John Candy years, Doug Clutie, all those greats. And so, you know, to see them at this point where they're still, they have an awesome fan base, but. There's been a lot of fans that, you know, lapsed fans that don't follow the CFL anymore in that city or, or, you know, a lot of newer fans that are, had no interest in it. So it's unfortunate. So I don't know what the attendance is going to be like, you know, I've tried to reach out and find out, you know, how they're doing ticket sales wise, but they should have 20,000 fans there. I don't think they will. So, I mean, that's unfortunate, you know, for a team second year in a row in order. And as far as answering your question, what do I think needs to happen? It's a, there's so many layers to that in terms of that market. Um, a lot of it has to do with ownership. You know, you um, promoting more. Um, 
and actually investing in communities and and just getting out more. And, you know, unfortunately, Toronto in their own city gets ignored um, in terms of promotions and and the, the Toronto Sun and others. They don't they don't do the Argos justice because it's the old, you know, I'm sure some people will fight me on this. They're the oldest franchise in sports. So, mm-hmm. you know, they, and they, they the history is great with the Argonauts and, um, and, uh, but it's a shame, but I don't think it's an overnight thing. I think there's a lot of layers to it. And in terms of them building popularity over time, they're going to need to start connecting to newer fans. They have their older fans. They need to find a way to start connecting to newer fans and their ownership has to do a better job. You have to do what BC has done. You have to put in the effort and MLSC very successful outfit. They haven't been very successful with how they've operated and run the Toronto Argonauts. There's no nice way to put that. So it's just the way it goes. They failed. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. The team is very good. Michael Clemens, Gem. Um, they have a very talented organization. They have a lot of good football players. Last two years, they've been very good. I think winning a championship would help in order to kind of change, help change the perception. But uh, they need to do more than just that in order to become a more respectable uh, box office draw. It's not the player's fault, the coach's fault, or anybody who's part of that football club. It's really upper management. We just got to get Drake out to a, an Argos game or two. I think that'll that'll fix everything. It worked for the Raptors, right? So, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't hurt. I mean, it's they're just, you know, unfortunately with the younger generation, they're not, the CFL's not on the radar. The NFL, obviously, it goes without saying, you know, the NFL's super popular everywhere. But in these big cities, it's good to see Montreal improving slightly. That's such a beautiful franchise, such a beautiful place, awesome history. Um, it's great to see BC doing as well as, as they have and, um, and improving upon it. These big city teams need to do better in the CFL. And hopefully we get to the point where each one of them, it has 20, 25,000 fans at every game. Um, and has your ratings do well for these teams. These teams do well in terms of home viewership, but you'd like to see more people come out to the games. Considering this is a gate driven league. Yeah. You definitely need as many butts and seats as possible. Yeah, and, and I mean, you when you think about it, like the CFL has an advance. I know they get, uh, they're doing stuff with Genius and all that. They haven't gotten to the point yet where they've figured out that uh, how they can be profitable and more popular by using a lot of different revenue streams and not just be driven by tickets. But you can tell whether or not you're a hot property if people show up to watch you. So yeah, that's been an issue for Toronto, Montreal, BC. It's getting better in Montreal. It's definitely gotten much better in BC. There's a lot of potential for that to be a hot, hot franchise for a long time to come, the way that new ownership and leadership is running things. So um, the history of teams like the Alouettes and the Argonauts is beautiful. I mean, uh, the players they've had, everything. So um, to me, it's top, top notch. But to a lot, unfortunately, in a lot of these big city places, it's you know for some people, it's in the, the CFL is an afterthought. Unfortunately, it shouldn't be that way, but we've reached that point. Mm-hmm. Okay, switching to the game itself, I'm going to ask ask this question. You're going to fill in the blank. The Montreal Alouettes are going to advance to the Great Great Cup because they slow down and stop the Argonauts offense. Keep them limit limit um, limit the Argos from getting in the end zone and frustrate. McLeod Bethel Thompson. I know that's the elongated answer, but I think that's a big key there. You know, like the last time the two teams met, uh, the Argonauts did a very good job of driving right down the field on Montreal, especially when the game was on the line. Um, so uh, they rallied down the field and scored. 
and then Montreal came back and tied it. And then they, it was a little too easy, even though everyone focused on the Rouge and Worthy out of bounds and all that. A little too easy for McLeod, Bethel, Thompson, and the Argos to drive down the field against Montreal's defense. So their defense, if they play the way they did uh, uh, against Hamilton, they'll be in the Grey Cup. All right. And second part, the Toronto Argonauts are going to advance to the Grey Cup if they do <laughs> score in the red zone. That's the biggest problem the Argos have sometimes is they, they mount good drives, but they don't finish them. So... Um, they're gonna they're gonna need to do that again against Montreal's defense in order to win. A year ago, when they lost in the East final, they squandered several opportunities uh, in the red zone against Hamilton. And for whatever reason, Ryan Dinwiddie, Claude Bethel Thompson, they've had scoring issues in the red zone finishing drives. So in the clutch, the most clutch moment possible, they're gonna have to come through in that area and if they want to go uh, to Saskatchewan. Yeah, without question, this is. As I've said, folks, this is a massive game for not just the Alouettes, but for the Argos as well. I mean, it's it's about bragging rights. It's about proving to the rest of the league that, hey, this is not the division you think it is. This is not the CFL East. Like, th- these are two teams that could very well walk away with the Grey Cup trophy at the end of the year. You know, it's funny to me that uh, you guys are longtime CFL fans as I am. It's just uh, this is not too long ago. I You know, it, I know people want to change the playoff format, and you've heard people uh, like kind of be critical of the East. But it's not too long ago that I remember two Eastern teams winning the Grey Cup that were kind of like made fun of, for lack of a better term, in Ottawa and Toronto. Um, they didn't have great regular, stellar regular season records, but they ended up hoisting the whole thing. And you know, in Montreal's case, when you look at them, they have big wins this year. So they, uh, they you know, obviously beating Winnipeg is uh, a nice uh, chip on your shoulder. But uh, they got hot towards the end of the year, and they could, they've shown that they can stand toe-to-toe with anybody. And so, um, you know, when the smoke settles, you know, you know, for all the critical uh, things that have been said about the East, it would not shock me if an East team is hoisting the trophy. Wow. I mean, that's that's really what it comes down to. So what's the one thing that you're going to be looking for? I mean, we saw it, like, not so long ago with Ottawa. We saw them do it. We saw Toronto do it with Mark Tressman and the last Argos. A lot of people say, well, the, this shouldn't even be a playoff team. And then they beat Calgary and they beat Saskatchewan. And, and so we saw that with Ottawa, too, when they went on, went on their run. It's really about, you know, who you are towards the end of the season and coming through in these games. Your record kind of goes out the window um, at this point of the season. It's all nice. It looks great on paper. But the best teams win at this time of the year in the, in the biggest games. And isn't it crazy to think that the last time both the Argos and the Alouettes won a great cup, it was with the coach-GM duo of Mark Tressman and Jim Pop? Isn't that that's funny? I'm writing an article for CFLNewsHub.com, and that's one of the things I have in the article. Um, <laughs> you know, it's kind of reliving the, the last final between the Argos and the Alouettes 10 years ago. And then you're looking at Tressman. When you look at the Alouettes, you see, obviously, Cal Veal's on the field. Now he's on the sidelines. So, but, um, you know, 10 years later. But, yeah, Tressman doesn't get kind of the respect, at least, you know, in Canada he does. But in the States, I don't know, sometimes people knock him, but they don't realize how successful he was up north. And he's been a good coach his whole life. So, um, yeah, yeah, Mark Tressman, the last time either franchise, the Owls or the Argos, won the the whole thing. Tressman was at the, you know, behind the, you know, in the car, uh, behind the steering wheel there, leading the way. Oh, it's incredible. <laughs> okay, Mike, uh, 
just to kind of wrap this up, I mean, it, there's no question. This is a massive game. This is uh, this is for all the marbles, so to speak. I mean, not obviously for all the marbles, but I mean, as, as far as the Eastern Division goes, it's for all the marbles. Uh, what's the one thing you're going to look for more than anything else uh, between like, from both of these teams? What's the one thing that's going to really you're really looking forward to seeing, and what do you expect to see this coming Sunday? You know, I'm. I'm I'm curious about William, two players in particular, William Stanback and Andrew Harris. We haven't Stanback is just getting his legs out, you know, from under him, and he's getting he's gotten better in every performance. In this type of game, what's at stake? You know, I'm wondering if we're going to see peak William Stanback for the first time really this year because he got hurt in week one. So in these types of games, the premier elite players step up, and so I know that it's hard to keep Walter Fletcher off the field, but I'm going to have my eyes on him because he could theoretically take over the game if he's ready to be the player he always has been. And so on the flip side, I see the same type of situation with Andrew Harris, 35 years old, don't know what's left in his tank. But a year ago at this time, he helped Winnipeg get to the Grey Cup by rushing for over 140 yards. And then when Winnipeg needed him, in the, when they staged a comeback against Hamilton to win the Grey Cup last year, Andrew Harris stepped up. So he's been one of the most clutch performers in the CFL during his career. So you wonder with the long layoff, whether or not, what's at stake? I mean, this could be a swan song for him. This could be the end of the road. This could be Andrew Harris's last chance. I'm sure part of him is probably motivated to go play Winnipeg for the Grey Cup. That's provided the Bombers get there again. But those two players, I think the elite players, the guys, it could be a signature moment for a player. Harris has already proven himself. He's a first ballot uh, Hall of Famer, one of the all-time great runners in the history of the CFL. William Stanback has a chance to be in that conversation, uh, but he's got to have those big-time performances like Harris has had in the past. So I'm watching the Geno Lewis and the William Stanback and the Andrew Harris and then the two quarterbacks. You know, Harris, is, despite his great career numbers, he's one of the most efficient quarterbacks. People don't really like focuses, but he's one of the most efficient, accurate quarterbacks in the history of the CFL. But until you hoist the trophy, you don't really get the respect. Um, and then and by the same token, McLeod Bethel-Thompson is a journeyman player who's actually coming to his own late in his career, and he's a respectable CFL quarterback. But for whatever reason, he gets criticized, and he's like thrown out of when nobody will mention him in the elite conversation for various reasons, some uh, justified. But um, I think this is a career-defining moment for the players that I'm mentioning here. And so, <laughs> you know, only one side can win in these types of games. So... But you can change your narrative by getting to the Grey Cup. you got to win the Grey Cup. There's no question about it. But it's in these types of games where you find out who your best players are and who's the, the, who are the individuals that uh, deserve to be looked upon in the pantheon of great players. Guy's knowledgeable. I'll give him that, man. It's, it's always fun to see the, what, the, you know, what the other talking heads think about the, the upcoming games itself. But, I mean, it's uh, Mike. Again, we've had Mike on before this season, and uh, – like he knows exactly what he's talking about, and he he gave a a pretty good uh, pretty good preview on uh, what his thoughts are on the upcoming game this Sunday. Without question, and uh, I mean, if you weren't excited about this game before, and even if you're not a fan of the Argonauts or the Alouettes, I think you 
just if you were to go based strictly on what Mike's been talking about and what to look forward to, like from both sides for both of these teams, I think if you were a casual fan just going to be tuning in for this game, this game just to see who's going to go to the Great Cup, I think you could be just a little bit more excited now just based on the insight, the analysis that uh, Mike was able to provide. And once again, we're so thankful to be able to have him on. And again, like if we, if you're not hyped for this game already, I, I like to think that this show is going to help turn the hype meter up just a little bit more. Mm-hmm, for sure. And speaking of the game itself, uh, as of we are taping uh, taping this now, the, the game is now down to a three-point favorite. It was three and a half. Toronto is favored by three points, Cliff. Uh, so they get the hometown three points. Uh, so it's, it's basically a pick em. Um And the over-under is currently at 48. Um, you know, the weather right now, it's, it's, got, it's changed. It looked like it's going to be about five degrees at kickoff from what I have seen. Um, so weather shouldn't be a factor. Obviously, they're going to be playing on grass, not turf. Um, they do get the lake effect winds uh, coming off of, uh, you know, into yeah, the field. We're not talking Buffalo. You, you've seen lake effect snow for Buffalo. It's absolutely stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. But uh, and uh, do I think we're going to get dumping of snow this coming Sunday? No, but uh, no. The, the, let's not forget, if this comes down to a, a kicking game, I mean, depending on what uh, what side of the field you're kicking towards, I mean, I mean that this, this is something that both uh, Boris Bede and David Cote are really going to have to truly think about and and be ready for. Like both teams, really, when you think about it, I mean, it, it, this 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 game we've shown that this game a rouge could decide this game as well, just like it decided the two other very important games for this uh, for these franchises. Mm-hmm, exactly. Um... Obviously, we're only past the first day of practice, so we we won't be seeing the uh, the depth charts until until Friday, until fr- probably either fr- late Friday or early Saturday, probably early Saturday, and we'll get those posted over on our socials. Um, thoughts, Cliff? I mean, it is you know the Alouettes have not been you know have not had the potential of uh, of being to a uh, being in an East final and potentially getting to a Grey Cup in such a long time. Um, what, what are your thoughts as a fan going in, going into this game? It's massive. I mean, it's to be in this position again for the first time since 2014, it means a lot. And knowing that the great cup is one win away, it, it, it's got to weigh heavily on this team. It's got, it, you can't not think about it. And for fans as well. I mean, like just the excitement, like you, you don't want to look at Toronto and say, Oh, that's a gimme. That's an easy win. Cause it's not, I mean, Toronto has been consistently good all season long despite injuries despite uh, you know players coming out of nowhere and just being automatic superstars like they <laughs> this team is built to win as well and there's so many similarities to Toronto and Montreal like I would say this is about as evenly matched a game as you're going to find this season and knowing that this is basically for all the marbles like the winner of this goes on to the Grey Cup is is incredible. Like, you're getting the best of the best as far as I'm concerned. I mean, Montreal has proven that they have they belong in this conversation. They, they deserve to be here in, in this moment at the Eastern Final. Toronto, too. And they've had the benefit of a rest. They've had a, the chance to see what Montreal has to offer. They have a chance to see what's going on and who to get ready for. Uh, Montreal, they all, all they've got to go by is, okay, well, we remember playing these guys a couple weeks ago. And more than likely, you're going to be facing that same team again, mm-hmm. except now you've got the potential wrinkle of Andrew Harris being back in the lineup. I mean, we, we don't know what A.J. Ouellette was able to do a couple of weeks ago versus Montreal, and that guy was tough to bring down. Andrew Harris 
we know that he he really turns it on for the playoffs. And he's also got to be motivated as heck, too, because he wants to get back to the Grey Cup and maybe even face his former team in the Blue Bombers if they advanced in the Western final. I mean, that's a tremendous storyline right there. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, both of these teams are motivated by different factors, but they're I'd say they're equally motivated. Like, this is going to be a hell of a game as far as I'm concerned. Like, this is not going to be a snooze fest by any stretch of the imagination. No, no, it, it shouldn't be. I mean, it's also the first time, by the way, since 2005 that the Alouettes have faced the Toronto Argonauts in an Eastern final in Toronto. So it's it's been a while, dude. I mean, yes, you know, last time that these two teams met in an Eastern final was in 2012 here, but still it's been a while that, uh, that uh, you know, those are the heydays, if I remember correctly, of the Toronto Argonauts. So this, it's been a while, but this, either way, this should be fun. Yeah, no, it's uh, you think back to those previous games and it, yeah, I mean, I mean, you, you look at the boat, the way these two teams are stacked up against each other. It's I mean, this truly is like obviously the Vegas odds makers are looking at this as a pick em, and you can't help but wonder if everybody else is going to be thinking the same thing. Like either one of these teams can easily be the Eastern representative and go on and even go so I'll even go so far as to say will be very competitive and p- could potentially win the Grey Cup. Mm-hmm. Which is hard to think, like when you saw, we were talking about, like this was the CFL least for the better part of the year. But these two teams were clearly saving it for November, and that's what you got to do in the Canadian Football League. You got to be ready to compete in November to show that you you belong as one of the premier teams. And that's what these two teams are right now: is they're competing, and the winner of this is going to be without a shadow of a doubt one of the best teams that this league has to offer. And my God, it, it's. It's incredible to think about the fact that Montreal, despite all of their trials and tribulations this year, and it has been a crazy ass year for the Alouettes Mm -hmm. when you think about it, for them to get to this point is nothing short of remarkable. And my God, it. You know, Toronto, too, has uh, I won't say they they haven't had an easier time because they've had their 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 tales of woe as well. They've been through it as well. So, I mean, it's almost unfortunate that one of these teams is going to go home and you know, that that's their season right there. Like the best they can hope for is say, well, at least we made it to the Eastern final. But <laughs> I mean, man, it, it, it's, it's just an incredible tale. you looking at these two teams, how they stack up against each other. And just to think about what's going to be coming this, this coming Sunday is, it's tremendous. Exactly. Uh, I want to reach out to Cliff and myself to, to chat. Uh, you can obviously you can do so on social media or you can email us. You can email me at tim.capper at alouettesflightdick.ca or you can email Cliff over at clifford.pine at alouettesflightdick.ca. Uh, heads up, Alouettes Nation and friends of the pod, your boys from the pod will be in the big smoke. We will be there at BMO. Be my first trip to BMO Field, but we will be there in the stands to cheer on the Alouettes in the Eastern Final. It'll be my very first game on the road to watch the Alouettes for the Eastern Final, so it should be should be fun. Oh, without question. Uh, we've 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 been pretty we've been pretty good luck charms uh, for the Alouettes uh, on the road this year. I mean, it was only one game, but <laughs> they still won on the road when we were there. So and the Alouettes finally got that win in BMO Field earlier this this year, even though. If, it was a glorified preseason game. Mm-hmm. They still got the W. So now they know they can win at BMO Field. It's just a matter of they got to show up, be ready to go, which I have every confidence in the world they will be. And yes, Tim and I will be there. We will be witnesses, hopefully, to be able to say that, yes, the Alouettes won and are going to represent the East at the Grey Cup 
later this month in Saskatchewan. That's right. Um, again, just reach out to us on social media. If you're going to be at the game, we'd love to see you. We don't know where we're going to be sitting yet, uh, but again, we'll, we'll, it will just follow us on, so uh, both on social media and the Alouette's flight deck, uh, Twitter account also. And, uh, for all the information that we're going to be putting out there. So we will be back next week to recap the game and hopefully preview the upcoming Grey Cup matchup with the uh, Alouettes versus to be determined. Um, but uh, either way, we appreciate every one of you for listening. We will, And again, as I said, we will be back next week to continue the broadcast season for 2022. Uh, so for everybody here, the Alouettes flight deck for Cliffy D, I'm Tim Capper. We're on final approach. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.